Welcome to another encouraging message from Pastor Jason Yalbron, lead pastor of One Community Church located in El Dorado, Arkansas. For information about the ministry of Pastor Jason or One Community Church, please visit our website at occeldorado.com. Or you can find us on Facebook by searching One Community Church El Dorado. Pastor D, thank you. Let's jump into our summer series. We're doing a series called The Big 12. Everybody shout out The Big 12. If you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. We'll get there momentarily. Have you all enjoyed the series? Here's a question. How many of you have been... So next Sunday when I finish, there will be seven Sundays, seven weeks of this series. So that's a pretty long one for me. I don't, I don't typically do series this long. How many of you have been here thus far for all uh, six today, counting would be six? How many have been here for all six? How many of you have been here in person? Now, I know you watch online and you catch up, so do that. But how many of you have been here at least three times in person for this series? That is awesome. Have you enjoyed it? Somebody shout out to me your favorite disciple so far or apostle so far. Peter. We ain't even got to Peter. Okay, yeah. Who else? Andrew, all right. It's been good. So today we're doing Peter. He's already their favorite now. They, who don't like Peter? I mean, you know, he is awesome. So we're going to cover Peter. Um, I think by the time we're done, we'll have covered all of them but three. Okay, um, and you, you can't do a series on the disciples or the apostles without talking about old Peter. I mean, you got to talk about this guy. And I, I couldn't, I wanted to get away from this. I actually tried to get away from this one and wanted to do one of the other guys, but um, the Lord said, no, we got to talk about Peter. So let's, let's talk about Peter and we'll get to our text in a moment. But um, Peter is the most famous of the disciples. Peter's name is associated with big things in Scripture, uh, walking on water for one, and we'll talk a little bit about that. I told Alicia this morning, I said, you can't talk about Peter and not talk about him walking on the water. So, so we'll touch on that, but that's not really the message today. So um, let's, talk about, <clears throat> let's talk about his bio first. He was born Simon, but Jesus changed his name to Peter. <clears throat> he was a fisherman by trade. He was from Bethsaida. That was the area that he was from. He lived in a town called Capernaum, which is by the water, which makes a lot of sense because he was a fisherman, so this was close proximity to his work. Uh, Peter was married. Uh, he had a wife, and he had children. He was the brother to Andrew. Uh, Andrew was the one that introduced him to Jesus, and we've covered Andrew. He was the second guy of this series because if you'll remember the series actually started on Easter when we talked about Thomas so he's the second guy we covered uh, Peter is one of the inner circle disciples uh, he's known for his big personality because of the things that he said and the things that he did now Matthew 16 is our text today but it, and I'm not going to read from it I'm going to paraphrase but a few pages to your left in your Bible is Matthew 14 and this is the story of Peter walking on water. What's interesting about this story is Jesus didn't suggest that Peter walk on water. Peter suggested it. 
So it wasn't Jesus, it was Peter that wanted to walk on water, which tells us a lot about Peter. I think Peter was an Enneagram 8. I think that was his personality style. So his personality is what we would call a challenger. Peter was a challenger. The wind and the storm is raging. The disciples see Jesus walking on the water, and they think it's a ghost. And Jesus responds, it's me. And Peter says, Lord, if it's you, call me out on the water. How many of you know that's bold faith? And, and what Peter, I think, was saying is, Lord, if you're going to do this kind of miracle, I want to be right there in the middle of it. And he was. He walked on water as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus. He could walk on the water when he took his eyes off of Jesus and started looking at the circumstances. Of course, he, would, he began to sink. And how many of you know there's a big message in that? So Peter was a guy of big, bold gestures. Uh, gestures. Another story of bold Peter that I like is taken from Luke 5. Peter was not a writer, so he commissioned a guy named Luke to do his writing for him. So how many of you have heard of the Gospel of Luke in your Bible? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? So Peter commissioned Luke, who was not one of the twelve, to write his experiences for him. Luke was a disciple of Peter, okay? So Luke writes for Peter that he and Andrew had been fishing all night. By the way, Peter was not just a fisherman, but history records he was a successful fisherman. In fact, many historians believe that, that Peter had a much larger home than people of that culture of that day. They believe Peter was very successful financially. And this was a fun fact. I've never been to Israel. It's on my bucket list. I would love to go walk where Jesus walked and where these disciples walked, and one day I will get to. But and I've not been there, obviously, but I've heard there is a home that now is a tourist spot there in that area, which is said to believe to be the home of Peter. And it's a larger home, and you can see that. It's a, it's a larger home, especially for this day and time, this era of time. It was a large home, and it had a mother-in-law suite attached to it, which lines up with the Bible because of Peter's mother-in-law, right? Because we know the story there what happened with his mother-in-law. So many believe that the apostle Peter was very successful. So in this story, they had been fishing all night. So Jesus is gathered with people. That's interesting to note because Jesus was always where people were. Amen? Jesus is teaching and preaching, and the crowd grows and grows and grows into the place they couldn't hear Jesus. Now remember, they didn't have the PA systems and sound systems back in that day, so they couldn't hear Jesus as he was preaching and teaching. So Jesus sees Peter and Andrew, his brother, coming in from fishing all night with empty boats. They had caught nothing but trash in their nets. So they're cleaning their nets, and Jesus leads this group of hundreds, some believe possibly even thousands, to the empty boat of Peter. You could say that Jesus shines a huge spotlight on Peter's failure of not catching fish. Jesus steps into his empty boat. So in other words, Jesus steps into Peter's failure and uses it as a pulpit or platform to preach the gospel to multitudes. How many of you know Jesus will step in our failure and he will use it to preach and teach the gospel? Amen. 
How hard for Peter this must have been to be this successful fisherman and to have been out all night and not caught anything. So after Jesus is done preaching, he says, let's go out in the boat, but this time I want you to put your nets out like this, this particular way. And this is what I love about Peter because Peter, Peter had no filter. Whatever come through his mind, come out his mouth. Y'all know anybody like that? Okay. Yeah, don't, don't look at anybody, okay? So Peter, he just, he just says it. I mean, he just, if he thinks it, he says it. And Peter is like, you know what, Jesus, <laughs> time out. Like, uh, you know, I know you're the Savior and all this stuff, but, but you're just going to have to sit down because this is my arena right here. Like, this is what I do, man. This is what I do. I am skilled at fishing. fishing. I mean, I do this for a living, and I've been pretty doggone successful at it. Jesus, you don't know anything about this. You just need to stick to the preaching and teaching and miracles. Jesus, you don't know the bills I have and the promises I've made. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> but Peter lets Jesus take his disappointment and turn it into a place of ministry. Don't miss this because this is the perfect, a perfect part of discipleship for you and I. Peter was like, we fished all night, but because you ask us to, we will do it again. And they did it again. How many of you know a big part of discipleship is when Jesus asks you to do something again, you do it again. They catch so many fish that their nets almost break. And the catch was so enormous that the boats could not handle the load and the boats almost sank. He has to get his, brother's, his brother Andrew's boat, and then they had to call others with boats to get the catch. The catch was so big. Think about this. Now, I read some things, and I love history, so I read some stuff, and, and it, it made a lot of sense to me. I don't think that we think about this big catch of fish. We, we think of fishing here where we live in our culture, as we don't live on the coast, we think of fishing as a hobby. This was their livelihood. This was their job. This was the difference between success and not being successful. As you read here some of the history behind this, I had never thought about it in this, this way before. They believe that this catch of fish was life-changing money for Peter and Andrew. It was like winning the lottery. It was life-changing financially. This catch was so big. Some believe it is the reason why Peter and Andrew and others, perhaps, were able to spend the time with Jesus, going with Jesus to do ministry, and they didn't have to work and provide because they were so successful here with this catch of fish. This was life-changing money for them financially. Something to think about. I had never thought about it like that before. They can't handle the abundance uh, this is another reason why they believe Peter was successful. Uh, my belief is he was a success, successful fisherman before this, and he had a good business, but this put him obviously over the top. I believe that is the blessing that God wants for us. God wants a more than enough lifestyle for his people. And how many of you know Jehovah Jireh is our provider? I mean, he, he is not El Chipo, he is El Shaddai, amen? And I believe God wants to provide for you. 
God wants to provide for you. I don't know why I'm saying this, but I feel an anointing right here. God wants to provide for you. God has, God has blessings that are beyond anything you can imagine. And God wants to provide for you. And that's a word for somebody. Somebody in here needs to hear that. God is a blesser. God, God don't want us to barely get by. God wants to bless us. Everybody say, God wants to bless us. This is how you know the voice of the enemy and the voice of God. The voice of the enemy always comes from a place of scarcity and lack. The voice of the enemy is always a voice of limitation. That's not the voice of God. Please hear me today. That's not the voice of God. God's voice is a voice of generosity. I'm going to let that settle. God's voice is a voice of generosity. That's the God we serve. I believe this miracle happened for Peter, not just with his obedience, but with his humility. Peter humbled himself. Uh, I hear people say, Pastor, pray for me that God would help me be humble. No, we don't ask God to be humble. The Bible says we humble ourselves. We humble ourselves. So Peter humbled himself, and because of his humility, he... he um, was able to use this empty boat. Jesus was able to use his empty boat. How many times do we do this? God, I can't give. I, I can't give today. I, I can't afford to give. You know, uh, we don't have the money, or we have things that are broke down, or we have this and we have that, and God, I can't afford to give. Or God, I study the market. I know what the stock markets do, and I have a financial advisor, and until this next president is voted in, I don't feel like I need to give anything. I just need to, to button down the hatches. Let me tell you something. That is the voice of the enemy. That is not the voice of God. God's voice is a God of generosity. It's a voice of generosity. Can I, can I hear another? I don't know why I'm saying all this. It was not planned, but I just feel God saying that. God's voice is a voice of generosity. God is like... I will give, give you what you need, but first give me your empty situation. Give me your empty situation. Give me your failures, and I will make it a platform to be used for me. Peter, don't put up walls of pride. Don't put up walls of pride. Peter, I've called you to greater things, and I will help you be successful at your business, which will make it harder for you to leave your business when I ask you to. Think about that. You know, it would be one thing for Peter to have to walk away from an unsuccessful business. Peter walked away from a very successful business to follow Jesus. Think about that. Peter could have chose pride, but instead he chose humility. Peter's biggest moment that I want to focus on today was his revelation of who Jesus was. I love this about Peter. He has this prophetic edge to, the, to him and he was always ahead of everyone else. So are you in Matthew chapter 16? If you are, say amen again. I want us to look at verse 13. And let's read the verses following. Now this is where I want to really focus the message today on Peter. Because to me, this, is, this moment for Peter was even larger than the moment of walking on water and the nets breaking with the big catch of fish. I love this moment with Peter because you're going to see a lot of things in this passage here in a moment. But let's start with verse 13. When Jesus came, 
to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. But Jesus said, notice the words are written in red, but Jesus said, what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Keep reading. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day, but he would be raised to life. Everybody say, raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Everybody say, rebuke him. Everybody say, that's kind of harsh. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen. Jesus turned and said to Peter, now, if you think that's harsh, what Peter said, look at what Jesus said. I think this is pretty harsh. Get behind me. Wait a second, he's talking to Peter. Get behind me who? You are a stumbling block to me, and you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human Concerns, And then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple. So we're talking about a series here about disciples and apostles. So this is really good stuff and you ought to, your ears ought to perk up. Whoever wants to be my disciple must first do what? Deny themselves and do what? And follow me. Watch this because this is pivotal and we'll close with this in our passage today. Whoever wants to save their life must first lose their life. But whoever wants to, to keep us reading, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will what? So whoever loses their life will actually find life. Is that right? So I want to go back to verse 16. Peter, in verse 16, hits it out of the park. Who do you say that I am? And, and Peter said, you are Christ, the Christos. You are Christ, the Son of the living God. In this, Jesus makes the connection between personal revelation and spiritual authority. Upon this Petra, upon this rock, Jesus said, I will build my church. So Peter, you're a small rock to a very big thing. I'm going to give you keys. So when I build my church, there are doors. There are walls. And you're going to have the keys to this church that I'm going to build. And with this church, there's going to be peace. Everybody shout out peace. Did you know peace is the greatest level of spiritual authority? If you want to see someone who walks in spiritual authority, it's a person who has peace in their life. Um, same thing goes in our homes. In our homes, parents, we should walk in a peace. Okay, When I walk into my home every day, I don't have to shout out, I'm the daddy. 
Daddy's here. Now, I don't have to tell anybody I'm the daddy because I'm the daddy. I don't have to prove who I am. And that's what Satan wants you to do. He wants you to have to prove who you are. Is that right? So one of the greatest spiritual authorities that we can walk in, and when you know someone's walking in spiritual authority, is they carry a peace with them. They walk in peace. Okay? They're not rattled by everything that's going on. There is a peace there. Anybody can throw rocks and scream at somebody and scream at situations, but the more spiritual authority you have, the more peace you carry. So a lot can be going on around you, but you stay in your peace. Amen. When he says, I'm going to build my ecclesia, my church, and he says this, this is pivotal. For whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Is that what he said? So in other words, the keys that I'm going to give you work on earth, and they work in heaven. He said, I'm going to give you keys, and these keys will unlock doors. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Man, but let's talk about this. When he talks about heaven in this passage, he's not talking about the third heaven where God is. There's three heavens, and I'm going to talk about that. He's talking about the heaven above our heads where the Bible says in Ephesians 6 there's principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. Now we may talk about that later. I may do some teaching more on that. But he's talking about that particular heaven. Where you see a great example of this is in the book of Daniel where Daniel has been fasting for 21 days. It's where we get the 21 day fast. And so Daniel had been fasting and an angel comes to Daniel and says, I was trying to get to you but there was a prince of Persia that is over this area that I had to battle through. Now, here's something important for us to know. Daniel was before the cross and the, and the resurrection. Okay, so this is different for us than it was Daniel. So with Daniel, you see Daniel here. We have the heaven above our heads, which is the cloud and the skies and the star and the sun, the stars and sun and moon. That's the first heaven. So you see Daniel here, you see this principality in the heaven above that, and then you see the solution yet above that. So that's three heavens. Do you see that? That is a picture here of, of what God is saying, or Jesus is saying. Now because of the personal revelation that was planted, when Jesus came and he died and he was resurrected, he was actually planted in the earth. So he goes down in the earth, just like a seed, you're planting a garden, Jesus was planted in the earth. And Jesus did this to purchase what the enemy stole in the Garden of Eden. Can I hear an amen? So he was buried. Now here's the thing you need to know about Jesus being buried into the earth as a seed. So Jesus goes into the earth, and what happens? The Bible says he conquered death, hell, and the grave. So in other words, Jesus died and was buried and was resurrected so we could have what is called eternal life. Now, the last thing that will be conquered when Jesus comes back is death, physical death. Now, right now, the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. Is that right? So these bodies decay. They go de the earth is, is symbolism of the decaying body. So Jesus goes down in the earth. He purchases, it, purchases what the enemy stole. He redeems it. 
And to me, the picture I got as I was praying about this, the picture I got was a needle and thread. It's like Jesus comes from the third heaven through the second heaven, through our heaven, down to earth, into the ground, and he threads the needle back up to heaven. So in other words, there's a, there, is a, there is a bridge between the cosmos, between third heaven and earth, and Jesus is that bridge. Amen? And Jesus came to make it possible for you and I to have access to him. Man, that is something to shout about right there. Come on. He is the bridge between heaven and earth. He is the thread between heaven and earth. So now the Holy Spirit has permission. So when we fast, and I did some of that yesterday, when I'm fasting like I was yesterday and I'm praying, what I discovered is I'm not by myself when I do that. Because now Jesus become that thread or that bridge. Now I have access to the Father. Amen. So we fast and we pray. When we do that, we're not by ourselves. We have the Holy Spirit. He is the go-between between heaven and earth, between the cosmos. He is that bridge. So when we ask for something, it's there if we believe. And watch this. If we believe and we don't doubt. I said this last week. I'm going to say it again. I may say it a lot because this is huge. God sees two things. When he looks down at us, he sees two things. He sees belief and he sees unbelief. And you either believe him or you don't believe him. When we pray for you, and we may pray for some folks here in a minute, when we pray for you, if you're one of the ones we pray for, if we do that at all today, I don't know what's going to happen. But if we pray for you, God is looking for belief and unbelief. And you either believe God can touch you or you don't believe God can touch you. There are people in this room that have walked in here, somebody invited you, and you're here today, and you may believe or not believe, or you may be looking at me and you may be cynical. And you may be going, I don't believe all this stuff. You may be watching through that camera right now, and you're like, man, I don't believe all that stuff. Well, you either believe or you don't believe, and if you don't believe, you're not getting any of it. I hear people say, well, I don't know if anybody really got healed. Well, you either believe it or you don't believe it. God sees two things, belief and unbelief. You either believe him and take him at his word, or you don't believe him. Amen. Man, I'm going everywhere but where I was supposed to be going. Peter, you have a revelation of who I am, and I'm fixing to fix everything that was broken on the planet. And when I'm finished, Peter, you're going to have the keys. Can I tell you that we have the keys? That's why in August, I got to build your faith in August. I got to get you, we're going to have big, two big pep rallies is what we're going to have. I mean, I'm going to fire you up. You need to be fired up. Guys, we got the keys. <laughs> Everybody say, we have keys. I'm not preaching my outline. Can I just preach? Okay. Think about this. So keys. Everybody shout out keys. I don't know why the Holy Spirit does this to me every time I walk up here. Everybody say keys. Think about this. This is the picture I'm getting right here. Today, when I go home in a few hours, when I go to my house... When I walk up to the front door, I am not going to beat the front door down. Why? I don't have to beat the front door down. Why? What do I have? Here it is right here. This is my key to my front door right here. I got the keys. So what am I going to do? Am I going to get all upset and frustrated and anxious and worried and scared because I don't know if I can get in my house? 
No, I'm going to walk up to my front door peacefully with this key. I'm going to put it in the lock and turn it. Why? Because I have authority there. And, and nothing can come to me with a lower authority in my home because I have the keys. I own that home. Are y'all following me? I have the keys to that home. So if another lower position of authority tries to come into my home, it can't because I'm the higher authority. <laughs> so when the enemy comes against you, you have the keys. You are a higher authority than him. Dear Lord, I'm not preaching this outline. If you have an ant in your house, a little ant, a little insect, are you worried about him? Why? Does he have authority in your home or do you have authority in your home? You do. So when the enemy comes at your home, who has authority? When the enemy comes at you and scares you and bluffs you and tells you all kinds of things, who has authority, you or him? Who does? You do. When sickness comes, when bad reports come, when work slows down, when there's a fear of losing my job, who has authority? I have authority. You have authority. We have the keys. Amen? There's a little old guy that walks around here all the time. His name is Leslie. And uh, if he's on his medication, he is awesome. When he's not on his medication, he's not so awesome. And he will cuss you. And I've been cussed multiple times walking into this building. And here's what he tells me. That's my building. I own that building. You're trespassing in my building. And every time I just pull out all these 25 keys in my pocket. And I go, well, that's funny because I got the keys. Where's your key, buddy? I have the keys. And if you want the building, I'll let you pay the note. How many of you know Jesus has already paid the note? <laughs> it is our keys. It is our authority. Mm, man, that's good stuff. I said that's good stuff. I don't have to beat a door down when I have the keys. See, when you have authority, you have permission to dismiss anything with the lower authority. We see this in freedom all the time with our freedom groups on Freedom Weekend. We see this happening. We see this transformation happening. We see it every Sunday in our altars and in our worship time. We, in, during our teaching time, we see that. See, worship is about ministering to God, but as we preach and teach the Word, it's about ministering to you. It's about building you up. Amen? And we're seeing this happen. We're seeing people get set free. We're seeing people get the revelation. I don't have to live this way anymore. I don't have to live with regrets and failures and unforgiveness and shame and all those things. I don't have to live that way anymore because I've got the keys. This is why you have to have a personal revelation of who Jesus is. You, you can't go off of your mama's revelation of who Jesus is. You can't go off of, of who your daddy's revelation of Jesus is. You can't go off Pastor Jay's revelation of who Jesus is. You have to have your own revelation of who Jesus is to get authority to have the keys. Don't waste your authority 
preoccupied by this world. Let me say that again. Don't waste your authority preoccupied by this world. We have authority we don't even use. And with all this stuff in our lives, what ends up happening is we go through the front door and unlock it. This is normally what happens. We unlock the front door, shut the front door and lock it behind us. And this is all spiritually speaking. We shut the door and then we go to the back door and we leave it unlocked or open for the enemy to come in. Because here's why. We don't want to leave the front door open because everybody would see our stuff. Somebody just went, whoa. We leave the back door unlocked because we don't want anybody to know what we're doing. But guess who knows what you're doing? And guess who knows that the door is unlocked? Give you one guess. His name is Satan. And so we've unlocked the front door, locked it back, but the back door of our home is wide open. And the enemy don't even have to have keys if you're going to leave the door unlocked. Can I be hard on you? Okay. And I see that. I see, I'm not talking about you guys. I'm just saying I, do, I deal with this kind of stuff all the time. Alicia and I deal with this. And, and how can we help you get your house secure if you're going to leave a door unlocked? I mean, this, you're wasting our time and God's time and everybody's time, your time especially, if you're going to leave a door unlocked in your life for the enemy to come in. Oh, I can vape, I can smoke, I can drink, I can sleep around and not be married, I can look at whatever I want to, and you better not condemn me because there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Well, sure, but there's no relationship either. There's no relationship. If you look at this as a rules to check off your list, if it's rules, it's not a revelation. If it's rules, it's not a revelation. When you get a revelation, then you understand, I have been given permission and authority over demonic influences and powers that come against my life. When we look at, look at or we watch movies with demonic influence, and, and, and people say, well, you Christians, you're always into the supernatural. No, 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 time out, time out. No, it's not just Christians. Look at what the world is putting out right now. Look at the movies and look at the video games of our world. There is demonic influence and powers. You can go watch a wholesome movie at Stars Theater and you'll sit through three previews of demonic influence. The world is gravitating toward this demonic spiritual stuff. Can I hear an amen? So when you look at or you watch this kind of stuff or you play these games, watch this, then you couple that with pornographic material, which is everywhere now. It's even on Facebook. Pornographic stuff is on Facebook. When you, when you see this and you watch this, it is not just affecting you. No, we just release that into our home. That becomes an unlocked door for, in, for the enemy to walk into our homes. Oh, no, it's just affecting me. Uh, no, you know, it's going to stay on the laptop or the computer or the phone or the television or the iPad. No, 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 no. You are wrong. It invades the nursery where your kids are. It goes to where your babies are. My dad used to say this. The enemy's greatest target is the person who's spiritually weakest in your home. 
And the people that are spiritually the weakest in your home are the kiddos. And so when you hand them these devices and stuff, God only knows what can be come through that device to capture their attention. It's called leaving the back door unlocked. Thank you for that. Come on. This is what the enemy is doing to believers. He is getting us to unlock doors in our home. And here, and I know there's exceptions to every rule, and I understand abuse and all these type things, but guys, I want to tell you something. You've got to let me pastor you. You've got to let me preach stuff like this and not get mad at me. Okay, because I've got to, you can get mad at me, but I've got to stand before God one day. I'd rather you be mad at me than him be mad at me. Okay, and I'm going to give account. The Bible says I will give double account for what I preach and I teach. And so what happens is, this is where we're getting nightmares, night terrors in kids, panic attacks, behavioral issues, on and on. Why? Because you've given that enemy permission to come into your home. You have left a back door unlocked in your home. And the enemy comes in through these vehicles and avenues to get your children. You've given him permission What do I do, Pastor? Use the authority you've been given. We talked about it in this series. It's spheres of influence. Use your sphere of influence. Use your keys to unlock. what What did he tell Peter? Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Peter, I have given you keys. Man, think about it like this. We can either look at this as rules or we can look at this as revelation. This can either be rules or revelation to you. I don't not sleep with other women because there's a rule book somewhere. No, I don't sleep with other women because I love my wife and my wife loves me and there's intimacy between us and I don't ever want to do anything that jeopardizes mine and her relationship. Now let's flip that. I have a relationship with Jesus. And I don't want to do anything that jeopardizes that. And if even if it's what the Bible calls gray areas, things that I might could do, that might is a big word for me. I would rather not do it. Because if it affects my relationship with Jesus, I'm out. I don't ever want to do anything that affects that relationship. See, I have a relationship with Jesus. I have a revelation of what Jesus has done for me, and I don't want to do anything that would jeopardize that. That's a revelation, not a rule book. Peter got that in this moment. So I want to ask you a question, and I have to to get ready to close, but I want to ask you a question. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus? Jesus said to these guys, who do you say, who do they say that I am? So I have a question, who is Jesus to you? In verses 21 through 25, Peter's win didn't last long. Because in verse 22, Peter has a low moment. Why would Jesus call Peter Satan, especially after he had already renamed him Peter? See, we think of Satan as a person. Satan's not a person. He's a a spirit. Okay? In Hebrew, the word Satan is to obstruct, oppose, or to take. Now, the opposite of the word Satan is the word Nathan. Everybody say Nathan. Nathan means to give. Nathan means a gift of God, to give. 
So if you read Nathan backwards, what does Nathan mean backwards? What does it say backwards? Nathan. So the spiritual implication here of that word is to give is to receive, and to receive is to give. Y'all see that? So Satan means the giving goes one way. We give, he takes. We give, he takes. It is a spirit. And Jesus was acquainted with this because in the wilderness he says, Get behind me, Satan. Three temptations Satan came at Jesus with. The last temptation, Satan said, I'm going to give you whatever you want and you don't have to bleed and bleed for it. I'm going to give you, Jesus, a shortcut. Everybody say a shortcut. Now, let me pastor you here for a moment. This is something that, that I don't think we think about. I know we don't think about it. We have this idea that it's the devil versus God, good versus evil. That is our picture. We think of the angel on one shoulder and the devil on one shoulder. That's what we think of. We think that Satan is trying to replace God's will with his will. But that's not what's happening. Satan don't care if you replace God's will with his will as long as you replace God's will with your will. That's the target. So in other words, I don't have to make you bad. I just got to get you to replace what God wants for you with what you want for you. And so, that's what's happening in this story. That's what we see here with Peter. It, it's not to replace God's will with the devil's will. It's to replace God's will with our own will. I don't want to be inconvenienced. I want this. I want that. I want power, and I don't want to work for it. In other words, it's not Nathan give and receive. It's Satan to take. Jesus recognizes this shortcut in Peter. Peter was a good man, but in this moment, he was a bad friend. Because he was Satan in this moment. It was his will. Peter loved Jesus in the flesh. Think about this. They were best friends. He loved Jesus. So this was not Peter's spirit talking. This was Peter's flesh talking. And Peter's flesh was saying, I love you and I don't want you to die. And so his flesh got in the way of his spirit. And, and Jesus was like, but you don't understand or support the destiny in the spirit that God has for me. You're my best friend, but you're a stumbling block right now. Because I have to endure these things to buy back mankind, and you want to keep it from me. So in other words, what Jesus was saying is when Jesus walked this earth, he was fully human, and, and, and he was fully man and fully God. And so the human side of Jesus, was he was saying, Peter, would you shut up? You're getting in my head. Because my love for you and your love for me is getting in the way of what I'm supposed to be accomplishing spiritually. And Peter, you're getting in my head with the things that you're saying. You're getting in my human mind. You're my best friend, but you're a stumbling block right now. Listen, we can be good people and bad friends all at the same time by supporting the bad habits of the people that God has put in our life. And it doesn't just have to be the sin habits. 
It can, be, it can be allowing someone to be a victim and stay hurt and offended. You can be a bad friend by endorsing their hurt. It's getting quiet in this Presbyterian church. When we allow people to be victims and hurt and we don't call it out for what it is, we're a bad friend. Amen. No, sometimes we got to look people in their eyeballs and we got to say, I love you, but you're going to have to man up or woman up. Because what you're doing is not right right now. Okay? What is in you is so much greater than what's coming against you. Pull yourself up. Your spirit deserves the mission that God has given you. And you're not ever going to achieve the mission rolling around in your self-pity. Stop playing around. Everybody say, stop playing around. We shouldn't be content when the people around us are selling themselves short of the call of God on their lives. Can I talk to parents for just a moment? Parents, listen to me. I believe God makes our kids look like us so we won't kill them. Amen? Now, I hit you with something funny so I could hit you with something hard. You ready? Listen to this. I didn't say this. The Lord gave it to me, so blame him, not me. I'm just the messenger. If we coddle our kids' flesh at the expense of their spiritual assignment, we will be held accountable for it. In other words, my love for you is getting in the way of your spiritual assignment. I love you, and because I love you, my emotions are all up in the way. And because of that, I'm like Peter and Jesus. I'm getting in your head, and I'm stopping your spiritual assignment and destiny. Amen? And parents, we need to be aware that sometimes our love for our kids can get in the way of what God wants to do in their life. Look in their spirit and call out what you see. Do it in prayer. Do it to their eyes. Say, you're this, but I call you this. That's what Jesus did with Peter. You say you're Simon, but I call you Peter. Amen? Parents, the reason kids get on your nerves is because they're knocking the flesh off of you. Same thing in marriage. Do y'all want to go here? No, we don't want to go there. <laughs> Your spouse is knocking the flesh off of you. There are no shortcuts. And there cannot be anything selfish in you. And this whole journey of life is about God getting the selfishness out of you and out of me. This is a picture here with Jesus and Peter. Jesus is preparing his disciples that the rest of this journey will not be easy. This will be the hard part. This is where we see who is ready to lead and who's not ready to lead. If you want to know if somebody's ready to lead, have an uncomfortable conversation with them. Have an uncomfortable situation with them. And you will see if they're ready to lead or not lead by their response. If they're willing to lay down what they want and not preserve what they want, they're ready to lead. 
let that settle. Pastor D, if you'd come, I, I gotta stop. When we go through the shaking process, we can't choose what that looks like. Can I hear an amen? Christians talk and sing about surrender, but yet we don't live surrender. We sing the song, I surrender all, but we surrender nothing. You don't get to pick and choose what you hold on to. It's not Satan, it's Nathan. It's give and not take. Peter, don't just defend the parts of me that, that you've seen because there's so much more to me you haven't seen. But the only way you get more of Jesus is the more you surrender. I hear people say, I want more of Jesus. Then you have to give more of yourself. The more of you you give, the more of Jesus you get. It's surrender. Everybody say surrender. Peter was in agreement with the what. He wasn't in, in agreement with the how. How many times do we do that personally and in church? We all know the why or the what. It's the how we don't like. Well, God knows my heart. I just want to reach people for Jesus. But do you like the how? Because the how is about you surrendering. It's about you laying things down. It's about you giving up. Amen? Let me ask you, when it's not your how, it's not how you want to do it, do you take your ball and go home? It's not how I want to do it. What are you willing to do? What are you willing to lay down? What are you willing to, wait to give up? It may be your pride. It may be you saying, I'm sorry. Maybe you admitting that you're wrong or you've been wrong. You have to give in order to receive. It may be your children. You know, I was thinking about this. Dedicating our children is the easy part. So we come to church and we put the bows in their hair and the dresses and the little outfits and we all stand before the congregation and the pastor comes up and we pray over your child and we dedicate them to the Lord. That's the pretty part. But the messy part is going home and actually giving your kids to Jesus every day. Marriage. Marriage is the pretty part. I did a beautiful wedding last weekend. It was gorgeous. Beautiful bride, beautiful dresses. We got the flowers and the venue and the music and the DJs and the first look and the pictures. and It's just gorgeous and beautiful. But the messy part of marriage is going home live in it anybody can cheese for the pictures you know what happens in America we're more in love with the ceremony than we are the covenant we're more in love with the ceremony than we are the covenant that we made between that person and God surrender everybody shout out surrender I'll end like this you know, I stand up here and, and um, on this platform and God has given me a, an amazing platform in the city and community and beyond through that camera. And people are watching all over the country, really the world. We have people that watch and, and um, people say, man, that's so awesome. You stand up there. You're so anointed. You're this and you're that and all that kind of stuff. But here's the thing. You see the glory, but you don't know the story. 
you don't know what I give up to stand here. You don't know the sacrifices that my family and I have made to be right here where we are today. You don't know what I've lost. You don't know the price that I pay to stand here. It's not all about the goosebumps and the anointing. That anointing comes, and the more anointing I have, you can be assured of one thing, the more I give up. The more anointed I am, the more surrender that's happening in my life. to follow Jesus what did he say in our passage deny yourself whatever, whatever when you lose something that's what he said you got to give up something to follow Jesus there are no shortcuts to get where God wants to take you you can't win it you can't buy it you can't fake it you can't want it you can't wish it Salvation, eternal life, and the Holy Spirit are the only things we get we don't deserve. Everything else we get through surrender. Everything else comes through surrender. Would you stand to your feet? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. business with God for just a few moments. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Jay, I want to I lay some stuff down. I want to surrender some stuff to you. God, I believe right now that's happening in this room. I don't just believe it. I know it. That God, some things need to be laid down. I want to ask you in your mind right now to sweep your house clean and think about all the things in your home where you're leaving a back door unlocked. The Bible calls them strongholds. And God is, God is a God who can destroy strongholds in your life. I think sometimes we wear chains so long that we start justifying the chains in our life and we start calling them bracelets. But let's make no mistake about it. They're not bracelets. They're chains that bind us. They're not necklaces or jewelry. They're bondage. And Lord, I believe that today in this room, God, people are going to be set free if they'll believe and not doubt. Belief and unbelief. But if you're here today and you believe, and you say, Pastor Jay, I just want to come, and I just want to lay some stuff at his feet. I'm talking to the, the new believer and I'm talking to people who have been, been a believer for 50 years. There are some things that have crept in that you need to lay down at the feet of Jesus. And if that's you, I want you to come stand in the front of this building right now. If that's you, come stand right here. There's some things that I need to lay down. I'm talking to Jason right now too. I'm standing here. If I was sitting where you were, I'd be standing right there. 
God, I want to lay some things down. God, I need to lay my, my kids down. I need to lay my marriage down. I need to lay some things at your feet. I need to do some soul searching. I need to do some house cleaning. I, I need to get in some crevices and some cracks. and I need to get some cobwebs down. There's some things that I've allowed into my home. There's some ideologies in my mind, some ways of thinking that I've been thinking, and it's called stinking thinking. Some things that I've held on to, some worries and some anxieties. God, I lay them at your feet right now. God, I lay them at your feet right now. <laughs> God, I thank you for moving in this room. God, you're moving in this room. The devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. Satan, you are a liar. Father, I thank you right now. I thank you right now. I thank you right now for what you're doing in this place. I thank you for what you're doing in this place. God, you're setting some folks free. I want everybody to pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I lay some stuff down. Come on, I need to hear you. He needs to hear you. I lay some stuff down. I'm passionate about this because I have to be. Because the devil's passionate about destroying me. Come on, say that. He's passionate about destroying me. And I lay it down. I lay some things on this altar. I lay some habits on this altar. I lay some mindsets on this altar. I lay some kids on this altar. I lay some things in my marriage on this altar. In the name of Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Be sure to join us next week for another encouraging message from Pastor Jason Yarbrough and One Community Church of El Dorado.